What's up? What's up? What's up, everybody? Chad Belding, another episode of the This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Thank you all so much for joining us on this episode. I'm excited about this episode. We're going to be talking music. We're going to be talking Nashville, Tennessee, America, that is, a.k.a. Music City. Today's episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody is brought to you by our friends at Deemer Box. For all of your Bluetooth audio needs, protecting your goods, being able to carry anything you need, your wallet, your passport, your pistol, your your cold beers, you can put ice in these things. They are a 100% waterproof sealed case with some badass sounding speakers. You can charge your iPhone through the auxiliary on the Deemer Box. You have 50 hours of battery life once your Deemer box is fully charged. You can get the D1, the DB1, the DB2. You can have one speaker, two speakers. They are pairable. Um, I'm talking, guys, just great sound quality, and they are so practical. I carry mine everywhere I go, whether I'm in an airport, whether I'm at the beach, whether I'm on a boat. I love having all of my stuff secure in one place and being able to hit that Bluetooth uh, pair button and just having great sounds listening to Brett Cobb, listening to Leith Lofton, listening to Drake White or ZBB or uh, some of our older friends that are still performing today like Willie Nelson and Chris Christofferson and a lot of them are leaving so I guess we just got to keep producing some good country music because there's not a lot of it in my opinion, but there's enough to uh, keep our hopes up that we're going to make that turn. And I know you guys listen to our good friend Brent Cobb, Cobb on the on his interview here at This Life Ain't for Everybody, and he had some great points, but. He's fine with what country music. He says country music's going to do what country music's going to do. And I'm just saying, if you are listening to the new bro country, you're listening to traditional outlaw country music, or you're listening to just some of the oldies but goodies, do it on a Deemer box. Thank you guys so much for your support of the partners that support us here. Today's guest is Ben Ratliff. He hails from the state of Georgia. He makes his home now in Music City, USA. He is a tour manager. He works in publishing. He works in promotion. He's done, been there, done that when it comes to managing artists and managing tours, the logistics, the lineup, the venues, the promoters, everything that goes into that. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about some of our mutual friends like Brent Cobb and Leith Lofton and Drake White and his experiences with those individuals and their careers out of Music City. So it's cool to have Ben here and uh, I'm just so intrigued by the music industry and when we got the chance to sit down because Ben was coming down to hunt ducks with us here in Arkansas, he jumped at the idea. Ben, how are you? Doing good, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing good. He's already he's kind of one of those guys where he's got a he's a musician i mean he grew he grew into the music industry being an artist right yeah yeah i was started out picking and granting you know and realized that it was uh, a whole lot more to it and you know if you're gonna do something right you wouldn't do it yourself so started moving into other aspects of it when did you move to nashville oh it's what 2020 now so i'm my wife and i moved in uh 2013, I think. So you're seven years full-time there? I believe so. Were you moving there to be an artist, or had you already given the dreams <clears throat> up of being an artist? No, actually, um, I was, I'd met Brent, um, Brent Cobb, and while I was living in Georgia, being an artist, and then he talked me into being his tour manager. Um, and so I commuted for about a year and a half, I think, and then uh, we finally moved up in, like, June of 2013, or 2014, I can't remember, but... um. And then, uh, yeah, so Brent brought me to town and started introducing me to people and still run around with him 
every chance I get. What is what is a tour manager? Technically, a tour manager is the one who plans all the logistics of the tour. Um, the booking agent books the dates, and then they send contracts out with the contacts for the venues and stuff on it. And the tour manager reaches out and just kind of puts it all together and keeps it organized and keeps everybody showing up and making sure everything's going as planned and nobody's late and make sure the buses are there and everything else is going straight. So so the tour manager is not in charge <clears throat> of the actual stage or the audio or what's going on there. He's more in charge of making sure that the artist is logistically <clears throat> handled and taken care of from his schedule. You might have radio appearances. You yeah. might have public relations. You might have um, anything going on during the day. He might want to go out and see the city. So you're helping line up transportation and all of that stuff. You're lining up lodging. Do you deal with the rider and make sure that the venue has everything correct when the artist arrives? Yeah, that's uh, I have, I keep a folder in my computer with, uh, for every artist that I work with and just, and I label it advance and it's got the rider that has all the hospitality needs in it. It's got the production advance, what they need audio wise. Um, and if I have a production manager, um, they usually handle all the production stuff for me and I just handle hospitality. Uh, I got if we're on a bus, we've got driver rooms that I got to book for our drivers. And then, um, you know, and then I do security and hospitality driver rooms. Um, and just settlement and all that stuff and just make sure we get paid. So you're in charge of getting the money. What, do they put a deposit in when they book the artist and then they're re they're responsible for the balance that night? Yeah, most of the time, yeah. Sometimes it's been full. Sometimes it's all in advance. But probably 75% of the time it's a deposit and then you pick up a settlement at day of show. And then once you... You get the call from a promoter or you get a call from like, let's say it's Brent cop. You get a call from his booking agent and you say, Hey, the spring of 2020 is shaping up, you know, Brent's going on tour. He's going to have this many dates. Mm -hmm. You start getting those dates. Now I assume that they'll start feeling in even more and more as the year goes. Um, there's a lot of things that'll depict that, but you start, you know, like logistically planning the tour. Like if he's got all of these dates and these cities and these venues interested, does that venue pick the date that they want him, Or does the, do they know going into it? Like, Oh, Brent Cobb, Brent Cobb's going to be available for a spring tour from the end of March until the begin for the middle of May. So do you start looking at that and say, all right, we're going to, we're going to start out West and move East. Or we're going to start East and move West. How does that work on how you know what cities you're going to land in? So the booking agents get, they're the ones that kind of put everything together, like booking the shows and routing it and everything. Um, and then when they execute the contracts with the venues, they always, they either email them over or there's in a, a portal or whatever they have set up with their company. And then it comes to me, but they put it all together in the routing and, and pick the dates and, and agree on money and, and, all, and the terms and everything. And then I get the contract and I just execute it and facilitate it and make sure they do everything they agreed to do. And, and I make sure that we show up on time and do what we agreed to do and just keep, make sure everybody's happy and pick up a check and sell some t-shirts and tickets and move on to the next city. You know? You're making it sound like it's easy. Can be. It just all depends. It can be a nightmare too, but it just, uh, if everybody in the team is, is good at what they do, it's, um, and you stay organized and it can be a blast, you know? I mean, it's 
it, being on the road is not the easiest job in the world. So I always go at it with the mentality of, you know, we chose to do this for a living and it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. So I'll make it harder and make it miserable for everybody. And so I always go out there and make sure everybody has fun, has a positive attitude and, and, uh, we have a good time. Um, is it one of those things to where as good as your attitude is, mm. is there a lot of moving parts to the point to where you have to, is it being able to adapt a, a very important key asset to have as a tour manager? <clears throat> oh yeah. Cause every venue is different. So you, you walk in and, and you can only get a certain amount of, in, of, of information. You know, I'll, I always ask questions like, Hey, what's the parking like? We've, this is what we've got a semi, we've got a bus or we got two buses or two semis, or we've, you know, a van and a trailer or a bus and a trailer or two buses and a trailer. So kind of let them know what we're showing up in and making sure they have, you know, ample parking and it's secure and everything too. And it's easy to load in. And then once you walk in, you just kind of, every venue's different and you walk in the door and you kind of just kind of feel your way out of the day and go, okay, this is going to be the dressing rooms and the production office and catering and just kind of set everything up and, and just, uh, and make it, and I've got a production assistant that puts up signs so all the band guys and the crew guys can, they don't have to ask where they're going. There's just arrows and signs telling them where to go and just make it comfortable for everybody. So they wake up in the morning and get off the bus and they're not standing around going, what are we doing? You know, they just, they get up and they see a sign. They're like, oh, okay, I'll go that way. And just kind of paint a picture for them and make their day smoother and make sure nobody's pissed off first thing in the morning, you know? Right. And are you, um, are you, um, to the point to where you you have kind of put in so much time that you have the ability to pick and choose which artists you want to work with, or is it to is it still to where you got to take what you can get, or are you spending a lot of time with one, the same artist now, or or do you switch on and off? Because not everyone, not every artist stays on the road year round. Yeah, it's uh, I. Let me let, just make sure that I know that you've worked with several artists, mm-hmm. but in, I'm talking about the mentality of it. Would you rather it be just one artist to where you're used to it and it just keeps gelling all year round? Or do you like switching things up with different artists? It In the perfect world, you would, I would like just love to be with somebody long-term um, because then, and when you keep the same band and crew together, it's a family, you know, everybody gets along and, and, we are like family out there and as we spend, I mean, we're 12 people sleeping in a, what I call a single wide with wheels, you know, um, and a motor in the back. So, uh, you're it's t- very tight quarters. And so when you get a group that everybody clicks together, it's a lot of fun and you want to stay together for, you know, year on year in and year out. But the industry plays its toll and stuff. And some people take years off and to either be in the studio to ride or whatever. And so it doesn't always work out that way. Um, and then, you know, but word of mouth spreads around and phone starts ringing as soon as something opens up. And uh, and it's not, I've been very blessed to just kind of always stay busy. And it's just, uh, but it, yeah, I would love to just be able to be with somebody for, you know, years on end because then it, everything is just a routine and, it's just fun and easy. And you might have it to where you have an artist that is only going to do a short run in the year and then you're making a living. I mean, do these artists, even no matter how much they tour, 
do they pay a tour manager a salary? Does it get to that point to where you become a full-time employee of that business? I assume these artists like Zach and these guys, they set up businesses. That yeah, ground yeah, yeah. band is a business. Yeah. And then through that business, you pay, uh, you know, all of these employees, whether it's your roadies or your setup guys or your audio techs, your sound techs, all of that stuff. Um, does, is it, is it typical for a tour manager to bounce around because a, 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 an artist doesn't stay on tour the entire year? Up until an artist hits a certain point where they're, you know, sustaining multiple millions of dollars a year and they can afford to put somebody on salary. Yeah, it's usually off of a show pay or a day rate um, up until you get to the point where you can afford a salary. Right. And then uh, and once you get to that point, it, it just really makes life easier because everybody's taken care of. You're not having to worry if somebody's going to go find another gig in, in the off season and if they're going to come back the next year and you know, it's just so many variables that move around, but, um, yeah, ideally when you is to, when you get an artist to a certain level, put everybody on salary, run it like a business, it's better for taxes and all the other stuff and, and everybody's family's taken care of and you know, you know, who's coming back the next year, you know, so it's just taking care of people and, and just running a smart sh- uh, ship, you know? Yeah. Because I, you know, you, as an artist, you are putting a lot of responsibility on the shoulders of a tour manager. Mm. You're really their eyes and ears. Now they, they aren't going to take it for granted. I get that part of it, but they got a lot to that's going through their head. The creativity of an artist is key. Mm-hmm. That's why they have to have all of these daily guys and girls, you know, handling the moving parts. They can't lose their creative edge. And if stress comes in or they know that, that something's not taken care of on a tour or something falls through the cracks and that just makes them not be able to be as creative. They might not, they, they might, you know, not have as good of a show or as a good of a performance because they're stressed out or whatever. So your responsibility is really um, depicting how that artist keeps his flow going, keeps her flow going, her creative prowess, his creative prowess and all that. So it's like, it's a big responsibility that needs to be taken serious of, Hey, you don't just wake up or get hammered the night before partying and then wake up and think that things are going to fall into place. You got to have it. I, I've seen a lot of mistakes made by tour managers or even managers in our businesses that they let something fall through the cracks and it can be detrimental to a situation. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause if the art, especially they're up there singing and I mean, doing 90 minutes of, and having to remember words and, you know, and play and entertain people. And if, if they micromanage their crew or they have to, because somebody's not doing their job correctly, like it'll affect the show, you know, and that just trickles down to the crowd where, you know, some, it might, make the show not good and the crowd's going to be like, well, that sucked. I'm not coming back again. And then that affects the ticket sales and, you know, eventually it just kind of. All goes downhill. Yeah. It affects the bottom line. Mm-hmm. You lose your job because you got to lay off because they're not as busy. Yeah. So you get, you see these artists that reach a certain point, man. It's a, it's a respectful, respectable deal because it takes a lot to get there. Yeah. You've seen does. a lot of artists struggling. You've seen a lot of artists that you think are going to make it and they don't make yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. They never get the big break. Yeah, Nashville will chew you up and spit you out in a heartbeat, and uh, sometimes it doesn't make sense. All and you know, sometimes you can do everything right, and if the stars don't align correctly, it just you know it'll all the wheels will come off. Yeah, and some guys that you hear, girls that you hear on the radio, you're like, they're nowhere near as talented mm-hmm. as some of the people I know. They might run a better business. They might the stars align like you yeah. talk about. They get the harder you work, the luckier you get. They might have been in the right spot at the right time. It might be political. It might have something to do with who you know. 
Um, there's just a lot of factors that go into Nashville and who makes it and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's a lot of talented people that aren't known in the public eye and a big, you know, grand basis that, um, that should be, or, or, and maybe they don't want, they might choose that. So, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting to me to know, like the, the better at business you are, as far as having the right people in the right spots, running that bus and taking care of the, you know, the dailies and taking care of all the moving parts. That's key in the success of an artist. Oh yeah. Because at the beginning, that artist is doing a lot of it his own on his or her own. You have to, you have to, right? You can't afford to hire anybody, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, that, I was that, that was the reason I got into tour management because, uh, God, probably 10, 12 years ago, I had a keyboard player who got stolen from me by um, a guy named Butch Walker out of Atlanta. He's a rock and roll guy. He lives in L.A. Um, and then Wes went out and toured with him, and then he went and toured with Halfway to Hazard, a country band. They did the Tim McGraw tour, and then Wes would come back and play shows with me, and he, he was the first dude I ever said, man, you need to be a tour manager. And I was just like, what the hell is a tour manager? He goes, it's what you do. And I'm like, okay. Still didn't really know. Um, so is that an insult to you? No, not at all. Um, if somebody tells you and you're a performer that you need to be a tour manager, I'm thinking of it like, wait, are you saying that I'm good <laughs> at organizing my own career or are you trying to tell me that I need to quit my day job and go do something else? Yeah, it's uh, and I, I just hired an, another artist to um, to tour manage this other band that I, I work with. And uh, and he was he was an artist and and he's working on making a record. And I came to him and I said, man, so I don't want to piss you off or offend you. I was like, but I have an opportunity I think that you'd be really good at. He goes, what is it? I said, it's tour managing a band. He goes, what? And I was like, let me just lay it all out there for you. So I laid it all out and said, this is how it is. This is how much money you'll make. This is how much money you spend while you're out there, which was nothing. And uh, and I was like, look at it this way. Go out, pocket some cash, come home. You'll have money to go to the studio. Instead of out swinging a hammer on your days off and playing shows and running around like a chicken with your head cut off, just go out for a couple months. But isn't that what it takes to become a, to break and maybe become a, a, perf- a famous artist? Yeah, I mean, it, it does. But at the same time, sometimes when you've been doing it, I mean, if there's an artist out there, and like I've been doing it, I mean, I was, I was setting in, I was probably doing 150 dates a year and never left the state of Georgia. Like I was doing all the fraternities and the sororities and all the college parties and all the VFWs and the Elks Clubs and the Moose Lodges and you know, all the bars and the college towns and everything else. So, um, and I didn't really ever care to do anything else because I was just making money. And, and it just got to the point where I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try this and get to do other opportunities. And, and like I painted the picture to him, I said, you're going to be out hitting all these venues with this band for three months. I was like, you're going to be the dude talking to the people that book the shows. Could open some doors. Yeah. I said, it's networking. You're getting paid to network. So, Smart. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, he agreed to it and he goes, man, he's like, I'm, I'm excited about it. And so, but yeah, it can come across as, as, you know, offensive and, you know, disrespectful. Well, I don't, th- I'm, I'm not looking at it like that. I wasn't trying to say that maybe you were offended. I was trying to say like, uh, you, it's almost like getting your bubble burst in a way to where your, your vision is this, it's one thing. And then all of a sudden everybody's seeing something else mm-hmm. in you, which is not necessarily bad either. Becoming a successful tour manager is a very lucrative living. You can make a nice living doing it. But when you're, when you're so geared, when you m- move to Nashville and you want to be an artist and the wheels are turning every day and you're in the honky tonks and you're trying to pay your, you know, pay your dues, 
And then all of a sudden somebody comes in and says, hey, you know, I was thinking, you know, you're pretty organized. You need to not think about being an artist anymore. You can look at it either way. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a compliment because you're, you'd be good at running a business. Oh, yeah. When it comes to that, though, you said the word rider before. The rider is something that is given to the venue or the concert, you know, the mm-hmm. – the the person that's in charge of that venue of getting that part of it ready because you're not part of that venue. You might go in there and there's a hallway with a, a bunch of rooms with signs on it that you're responsible for putting those signs in there, show where the bathroom is, show where the green room is, show where the dressing rooms are. And then on top of that, you're working with somebody at that venue that's going to have things in there, whether it's hospitality, what whether it's, you know, how do how do we, you know, get through security, all this kind of stuff. With a rider, I've heard wars, you know, like war stories or horror stories of like some really unbelievable requests and, and demands have, is that true or is that all like myth of like, you hear something like, you know, Stevie wonder would make sure that he, that, that he only had lukewarm water for tea. I didn't, I'm just using Stevie's yeah. now. I don't know that, but some people are like, they only want M and M's that are all green. You know, is it, does that happen to where they get that, that precise on stuff? Yeah, it has. And, and a lot of, a lot of people, there's some people that are just hard to deal with, and that's just the way they are. But there's a lot of people, too, that will put something crazy on there, too, to where if the venue's kind of sketch and can screw you over, you can say that it was a breach of contract if they didn't do a certain thing. Um, so it's there's some legal jargon to, that can put that into play for a reason. But most of the time, it's just, you know, the particulars of the artist and, and the people on the crew. And, like, I, got, I go around every year at the beginning of the year before I do a new rider, and I just ask everybody, it's like, hey, is there anything special you want? And, uh, you know, one thing on ours is uh, that I think it's funny, and my wife does too, but I put Charmin toilet paper on there. You know, you go in these arenas, and you're playing locker rooms, and, and they got that single-ply toilet paper that just like a daggone magazine. It's like, nobody wants that. So, like, For what? For in the bathroom. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think we TP the TP the locker rooms at the end of the night? <laughs> I mean, you guys are rock bands, you know, you're rock stars. What's the most unbelievable request you've ever seen or, or, or worked with an artist to where they had to have something like I've heard? It can't. It's got to be bottled water, but it can't be Dasani. It's got to be Crystal Guy. I mean, and they get down to where they. I get it. People have uh-huh. they have their preferences. You yeah, know, there's. But, uh, I mean. Aquafina and Smart Water are are particular when it comes to water, and I've actually seen some artists that, that just say absolutely no Dasani whatsoever because like, of the taste. You think, or because of the political feeling? Because there's a lot of things that got wrapped up in Dasani at one time, and I think it was French owned. I don't know why, but I've heard that too that Dasani's like looked down on. Yeah, and it's a um, Coca Cola product. Yeah, exactly. It's a Coca Cola product, which I'm from the South, and and you know Coca Cola's from Jesus, but um. I just always felt like it just tasted like crap compared to other waters. Like, I don't know what, I don't know if it was the bottle they put it in or what. I mean, you know, I grew up on a well and still love well water better than anything, but like, you figure water's water, but I don't know what it is, but Dasani does just taste different to me. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'll drink it if I have to, if I'm dying of thirst, but I got a choice, like. I'd rather have well, Kroger I mean, brand. You it know? might be mass produced now to where, you know, with your Coca-Cola, you have that type of distribution. I, I don't like monster energy drink. Um, you know, I don't, I, I'm a Red Bull dude. Yeah. Like I'm a, allegiant to it. Like very like loyal to Red Bull. <laughs> and I just think that like, there's just something wrong with, with a lot of the other energy drinks, monster being one of them. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to get me in trouble for saying that or not, but 
The okay. riders are interesting to me because they kind of set the tone of almost to where if something goes wrong with something as little as what kind of whiskey's on the counter, what kind of water's in the refrigerator, what kind of soup is available if the guy, you know, musicians are drinking tea and eating soup and stuff, but that could set the tone. Yeah. If something goes wrong with that right away, they probably look at you and say, well, they were supposed to follow the rider, and then you got to go find out, and like that's got to be a weird feeling of having to go to something and look. It said... Crystal guys are smart water. It didn't yeah. say to Sonny, we got to get this switched out now. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it can set the tone of the whole night. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of particulars when it comes to alcohol and, and whiskeys and scotches and booze and different things, you know. like cause, and, I, and, you know, we we like the taste of, of whiskey and, and bourbon, and some stuff is not as good as the rest. So, you know, there are particulars when it comes to that. You know, if you ask for a bottle of Jack and you get a bottle of Evan Williams, you might not be real happy with it, you know, but – and. And if you ask for a bottle of, you know, Bullet or some nice single malt bourbon or single barrel bourbon or whatever, um, and then they give you Jack Daniels, like some people would get pissed about it, you know. But um, but and all that stuff really to everybody else except for the artist doesn't matter, you know. Like I've had, had to tell people, like, dude, come on, it'll be all right. You know, we're here. We're we're not working at Home Depot. Nothing wrong with working at Home Depot. But where I'm going with all this is when you're in a when you're on a team. Yeah. You follow certain. I'm not saying that everybody's superstitious, but you follow certain parameters, certain guidelines, certain things that you do before a game, before uh, an at bat. Before mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of people that do a lot of things to get ready, get hyped up, get emotionally or physically or you know mentally ready to execute. And a band is no different because when you're going out and you have fifty thousand people or twenty five hundred people or five hundred people in a room that paid their harder money to watch you do what you do, you want to make them leave there going, I'm going to see them in another city this mm-hmm. year. I can't wait until their tour comes out, their new music comes out. I want to go to the merch booth right now and buy every T-shirt with their name on it. You, that, that's how these guys are making their living. So when they're backstage and you're laying down everything that you've been doing leading up to that point of that, the lights going down and the smoke coming up and the riser coming up with whoever it is, whether it's Garth or Bobby Kid Rock, whoever it is, that everything that's been done before that point is key to this. Mm-hmm. And these 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 artists are very superstitious in my opinion they're very creative they're they got it they get in huddles they say prayers they put their hands in like they're doing a chant or you know getting ready for a football game because they their family they're connected they've been they've been on not auditioning but they've been rehearsing for months getting ready for these tours and they want it to be legit yeah i saw a lot of it on that new garth brooks documentary mm-hmm. of how key and focused he is on everything with getting his band getting his crew he treats everybody like they're as important as he is because yeah. they are yeah and that's the and, and garth is only as good as his tour manager he's only as good as his pr manager he's only good as his lighting tech because if something goes wrong i've seen guitar techs get their ash ripped because something went wrong i saw it on hank williams jr tour this year Guitar tech gave him a thing and he hit it and it was tuned wrong and he freaking threw the guitar. So, I mean, there's just, there, there's, there, there's going to be neediness. There's going to be awkwardness. There's going to be all of the stuff that can happen in everyday life. But if you're not doing your job and that artist gets up there and he or she is made to look stupid or doesn't feel like things are going according to plan in front of that audience, it could all fall apart. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I, I try and do everything. I mean, every day is different, but I try and make it as routine as possible for everyone else. And that's what everybody in my crew does too. Like we want the band and the artists to walk on stage and know where all their stuff is. Just like they left it the night before when they got off stage. 
and same when in the dressing room like what's in their dressing room you know they they know what to expect or and that way nothing's they because when they start asking questions it starts making them think and if you make them think it affects you know their creativity yeah and so that's kind of the the goal for the crew and the tm and ever and the pm and everybody else is to take something different every day and make it the same every day makes sense so makes perfect sense yeah and they have to be there has to be a point to where you are looking at it like hey if i cut any corners if i do anything wrong i am potentially messing up a portion of this person's career mm-hmm. it's it's really touchy to me be, not just to me but you're dealing with something that in the music business, there's things that can happen that make you go away in a heartbeat if something is handled wrong publicly, public relation wise. I mean, look at the Dixie Chicks. Oh yeah. Remember, I mean, think about this. I mean, one sentence. They they are as good, in my opinion, they are as good as any country band trio. Not just trio. They were a legit country act. Oh yeah. Songwriting to musicianship to stage presence to creativity. And she gets up there in a international foreign, country superstars. Yes. And they, she does it internationally during a time of crisis in America and says that she was ashamed that the president of the United States was the, from the same state that she was from. Yeah. And you know what? She was never heard of again. Uh-huh. Not whether that's warranted or not. That's not the point. I'm just saying that this business is so touchy. Oh, yeah. You can be done in a heartbeat. And and Nashville as a whole is a, it's a I tell people all the time, it's a big-ass small town. Like, you can't talk trash on somebody. Uh, I mean, you can. You can do it all day long. But uh, word gets around, and, and people don't want to work with people like that. You know, so, like, it's, uh, yeah, you get shitty with somebody, it will affect your career in this industry because it is everybody knows everybody and they're so connected and that's where that word political came in because i've heard of other things happening to where you mess with the wrong person that just it just snowballs and compounds and just keeps flowing and keeps building yeah and the next thing you know you don't get a chance to put out another record you don't have another tour if you do you're not getting the the promotion needed to build a tour there's so much that goes into it and it's so hard to make it but it's harder to stay there once you do make it I look at somebody like Luke Combs, and I'm like, there's no way he's going to stay on top. He surprises me every time he does something because I'm like, every time he puts out a song, it's better than the last. And that just shows you that he's got something. Yeah. He's got something special. Because yeah. he, every time he puts out a single or a CD, he never cuts corners. His CDs are 18 to 20 tracks long. Nobody does that yeah. shit. He wants people to know that he's working for he's, his fan base. He's giving away music. He's giving it. He's giving it all. He's yeah. just like, I want. I am a singer-songwriter, and that's what I do. Well, well, are you going to get generic because you're writing so many songs? No. No. He, no. Everything that comes out of that dude's mouth is gold. Yeah, he uh, and he's such a great dude, too. I, I tour managed him um, briefly about three or four years ago, like, I, I may have been his first one because his manager, his now manager, was touring with him at the time too, and they were in a van and selling a thousand tickets in a van, and it blew my mind. And I was just like, "Dude, like you could be in a bus right now." And then three years later, he's in like eight buses. Have you ever seen that fast of stardom? No, I still it's it's still hard for me to wrap my head around. And Luke's a buddy; I love that dude to death, and I've. 
I did one radio show with him with Hunter this year in New York, which was a, it was in a small club, a little acoustic. He had two players on stage with him, and Hunter had two players with him at the same time. Um, but half of that bar looked like Luke Combs. Really? Every dude in there, big beard, you know, bigger dude wearing a damn Columbia shirt. It was it was awesome. It was crazy. So, and I've never been to a big show. I mean, you don't have to sugarcoat. Luke Combs isn't what people would look at and go, oh, yeah, he's what country music yeah. or he's what celebrity needs to look at. You always hear that you got to be oiled up and six-pack abs and great hair. And Lee, he don't give a shit. That's what I love about him. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that he doesn't care. <clears throat> I'm just saying that he's not going to compromise. No. He, he doesn't change himself one bit, has not ever, and was told one time by uh, – I, I, you don't have to say his name, but I've heard that story. Yeah. What was he, he was, told? He was told by the head of a label one time that he would never sell tickets. He would never have a career in this industry because of how he looked. Hmm. Said he's he, selling out arenas now. Yeah. Yeah. And he's with Brooks and Dunn. Yeah. He did Farm Aid with Willie. Jamie Johnson. Loved, I mean, there he's he's collaborating with his, yeah. the, the best of the best. And and he, I don't think he's been, and no, he's not been in Nashville 10 years at all. Like, I don't think, he, he might not even been in Nashville five years. Like, I've it's never, insane. I've, I don't, I'm not as closely tied into it as you are, but I don't, I can't recall somebody going from, ah, he's got something to, you know, he put out Hurricane, and he put one number away in that, that album, and then all of a sudden, in between that album and this new one that came out, I, he's selling out arenas. He's on the award shows, winning awards. He's doing, he's singing with, you know, Ronnie Dunn and Kix Brooks. I mean, he's amazing. He won male vocalist of the year. Male vocalist of the year he did. Holy shit. And he can sing. Yeah. He can sing. Yeah. Every day, all day. It's and that, crazy. And that is like a mutual friend of ours who you introduced me to, Brent Cobb, to me, is as good as they get. His stage presence his ability to deliver a song and tell a story, his ability to entertain, the sound and the richness of his voice. He is a good singer. He is a studied singer. Yeah. And he still continues to learn and get better. His story is awesome. And most of all, out of all of it, besides being a great hearted dude and he'd give you the shirt off his back, he is the best songwriter in America, in my opinion. Now, I know Jamie Johnson. I say that about him, too. But you can't get better than Brent Cobb when it comes to writing or pinning a song. Why does something happen so fast to Luke Combs? He's not commercial, you know, what, what you would look at and go like, oh, yeah, he's what everybody. Nobody expected that. You don't look yeah. at him and you look at Brett and you're like, well, I mean, he's he doesn't look like Luke Bryan, even though he's unbelievable and he's good friends with Luke Bryan and writes with Luke a lot and pins some of Luke's songs. But why does it happen to somebody? It's not like you can go, well, Luke Luke Combs got it because he's 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 a male model. You can't say Luke Combs got it because he's kissing everybody's ass. He ain't doing that either. Why does it happen to somebody like that when Brent is equally as talented? I have no idea. I'll tell you, like, I met Luke at, um, at Ten Roof Revival, which is on Tuesday night uh, at 8 o'clock every Tuesday. It's a songwriter's round. They call it Revival. They sit on a pew. There's three to four songwriters sitting there at the same time swapping songs, and there'll be eight to ten songwriters show up that night and do it from, like, 8 to 12 or something. Um, and that's where I met Luke. And Brent helped get that thing off the ground with Adam Hood and um, Rob Schneider and a handful of other people six or seven years ago. And that was where I met Luke. And when, and he would just show up and play and we're like, man, that boy's good, you know? And, um, 
and that's and there's a handful of others that everybody was just i mean you could they start singing and you can hear a pin drop they shut the whole bar up you know um and that's where it all got started and when i got the phone call like when somebody i got a buddy of mine called and said hey would you be interested in going out with luke combs for a couple of weeks and i was like sure I was like, yeah, let me look at it. I'll see, you know, like I didn't know what Luke was doing aside from playing at Tuesday night at, you know, at the tin roof. And um, so I called Brent about it. And actually he goes, man, Luke's blowing up. He said, you ought to go do that. That'd be fun. And so I went out with him and didn't, I mean, I knew him from the bar. I didn't know him. Like we weren't like really close, but um, went out and rode around the van with him for a couple of weeks and, and had a blast and, and saw the reaction. I mean, we were doing college. We, we played the Georgia theater in Athens, we did a place in Asheville. We did a place in Myrtle Beach, I feel like. And it was just seeing the fans' reaction to Luke at that time was just like, what in the because, world is because, going on? Because you know? he's he's uh, he's conceivable. Yeah. He's real. We can do that. Yeah. He gives everybody the feeling like, man, he's just one of us. Yeah. He's got an untucked black shirt on with some weird-ass black pants. I don't even know what kind of shoes he wears. He probably has got Crocs on most of the time. <laughs> I know he's got to deal with Crocs. Yeah. He's got a red solo cup in his hand uh-huh. with a baseball hat on. He wears Swampus hats, and our good buddy Corey from Louisiana he wears some other different lids. I think he's got a national deal with Columbia, but he's just a dude yeah. with a red beard yeah. that has probably not been manicured very often, if at all. Yeah, and going from just you know seeing him every Tuesday night sitting on a pew singing to getting in a van and going out and like getting to know him on six-hour drives, you know, between shows, and then. Or between the first one was from Nashville to wherever we went, and uh, and then to get on, and when he gets on stage and to see, you know, even at that point, a thousand people. Because I'd been on the road with a bunch of bands for many years, playing bars and honky tonks, where anywhere from twenty five to eight hundred people show up, and that and at at the point in their career where Luke was like been in town a year or two, if that. And like in a van, got just got a booking agent, just out grinding, it, you know, just trying to gain a fan base. And somehow or another, it was there. And just seeing their reaction, like all these little college girls and college dudes and everything, just like freaking out when they meet him at the merch tan, you know, and like and the girls rubbing all over him and the dudes wanting to be him, you know, like typical. I wonder why. That's a, it's so it's so weird to me that that happens with a guy like Luke. I'm not, I'm, I, I don't know Luke. I don't, I, he's, I guarantee he's a badass dude. Yeah. I'm just saying it's like, it's just weird to me though, that it happens so fast and that chicks would be all about it and guys and that he related to so many different people. And I love him. Yeah. I'm older than him, but I love his music. Yeah. I, I like Luke Combs because he doesn't compromise and he sings a good country song. Mm-hmm. He sings a badass country song and he knows where to pay his dues and he knows who to pay homage and respect to he knows what willie's done he knows what jamie johnson means to the country music industry and the word country the two words country music so i appreciate that because i think he just makes the right moves now back to my question about why is somebody like brent cobb who is so freaking talented and there's only one thing i guess it's only one thing is that brent cobb is only going to be that guy if it happens not and i and i don't know if against his will is the right things to say because I know Brent wants to perform for people. He wants his music to be heard. Yeah. But he's not going to go to radio. He's not going to kiss somebody's ass. It's got to happen organically. It's got to happen organically. Like yeah. build that cult following like Eric Church did, who also blew up in a hurry, but yeah. it took a lot longer than Luke Combs. Jamie Johnson will take over the Willie Nelson fan base, I believe. Willie's 
you know, God forbid anything happens, but Willie's in, moving on in his mid-80s, 86, yeah. 87 years old, who, by the way, his son Lucas is a badass. Dude. Vocally, lyrically, songwriting, guitar-playing wizard. Um, and a sweet man. I got to meet him in Denver this year on the Zach Brown tour. But um, if you think about what Brent's not willing to do or won't do, I'm not saying he's not willing to, He Brent Cobb is so freaking talented writes the best song there is, and then delivers that song. Yeah. Has people like Jamie Johnson saying, that's one bad son of a bitch. Shooter Jennings, that's one bad son of a bitch. Dave Cobb, his cousin, that's a bad son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. They love him. He's amazing. And then on, on top of all that, you have Morgan Stapleton, Chris's wife, here, shine on rainy day, and get his number from Dave Cobb, who who produces Chris's records, and text Dave, to, and text Brent Cobb, said, will you please come out on tour with us? We love your album. That right there's enough validation yeah. for country radio to go, well, maybe we should be playing some of these freaking songs. Because I'm telling you right now, we listened to some Brent Cobb on the way here tonight. Mm-hmm. And you can ask Tyson, who drives across the country with me quite a bit. I have to listen to him every day. Yeah. I have to. So my point is, is like, what does it take to freaking get Brent Cobb to the masses? Because I know Brent's not going to sit there and go, well, I'm going to go to radio and I'm going to pay for this song to be there and I'm going to showcase it and I'm going to do all this. He's not going to do it. Yeah. He's not going to go to a manager and say, Hey, I really need you to step up your game. He's going to take it as it comes. But the only people that that kind of attitude or approach hurts is who us. Yeah. Cause we want the music. We want to see him more. We want them to be bigger. We want them to be yeah. more readily available to us because we're greedy and we're stingy and we want more and we want more. And he's not willing to give that up. Yeah. Well, and that if if radio and, and I've spent many years doing this, I, I call it play in the game. Um, I don't listen to country radio. Can't stand it. I listen to prime country and Willie's Roadhouse. And but every time I flip over to new stuff, it's like, I, and I try to force myself to Me listen too. to it, but I can't make it past. Usually, let's just the make first sure. Song. Let's just make sure that how serious you are with that statement, though. I literally can't make it past the first song. Now, yeah. when Luke's on there, because Luke's played at yeah, radio yeah. and it's good. Chris Stapleton's on there, which you've, I don't even hear Chris enough. No, but for the most part, ninety percent of the things I hear, and there's some good female artists on there, and I'm not going to say any names that I don't like because to each their own. And yeah. if that's where country radio's going, which it shouldn't be, in my opinion, even though Brent Cobb says country's going to do what country does and country music's going to do what country music does, and he's fine with that. Mm-hmm. He can't be. Yeah. Because as a man, he's got to be going, no, these songs I'm writing are legit. Yeah. He's probably not saying that because he's too nice of a guy and he's too humble. I could be his mouthpiece of going, look, we need to get these songs going more because people need to hear Shine on Rainy Day. Yeah. They need to hear the versatility, the 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 wittiness, the cleverness, the truthfulness, the honesty, the trans the transparency that goes into a Brent Cobb song. Because if you listen and you break down his lyrics, you're gonna go, oh. That's a lot different than what I'm hearing on country radio because it's all the same shit. Yeah. And it has been for years. Well, the songwriting is, is definitely uh, taking a downturn for sure. And uh, But from what from my experience and what I've learned in the industry dealing with radio is a lot of the powers that be that make the decisions and build the playlist came from pop radio stations. So that's what they think everybody wants to hear. And that's why, and then the labels go, oh, well, that's what you're going to play, so we're going to give you that. So the labels go to the artists and be like, you need to do stuff like this. And it just shits on the creativity and the art of it because they're out trying to chase dollars and not trying to make art. 
Well, if you think about, if you go to a Garth Brooks show today, the audience, and I'm talking the first 30 rows on the floor, mm-hmm. are not people that were at a Garth Brooks show in 1993 when I was seen. They're not in their mid-40s like I am. Yeah. They're 18 to 25. Yeah. He's still relative, relevant because he and his management have a good, and, and he's freaking Garth Brooks. Yeah. My point in saying that is that why can't Travis Tritt and Joe Diffie and Tracy Lawrence and, and, and Sammy Kershaw and all of the badasses of the 90s that came up, Alan Jackson and Aaron Tippin and all of these guys, they can be still at radio yeah. because they're that good. Well, you got to look at this too. Like Garth's continued success isn't because of new music. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But what what my point is, is that none of those artists I just named are even heard of in Nashville anymore, unless you really, really do your research yeah. and go catch them at a casino in New Mexico yeah. or- And they're still working. Cal- I mean, Travis still, working. Travis still does 150 shows. Yeah, I had he's amazing. with his manager the other he's day. Because he's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. Travis Street is that good. My point is, is that if- we sh- people that are coming up now that are first starting to you know learn music or eighteen to twenty five and they're into into country music they should be knowing about what Bubba shot the jukebox mm-hmm. was and and, oh, yeah. and and third rock from the sun was and and it's a great day to be alive and all of the great songs politics religion and her Sammy Kershaw is the best ever oh yeah <clears throat> Chevy Van that he cut Waylon Jennings song Chevy Van his best song of of all time is queen of my double wide trailer but i mean you don't even hear those songs at radio mm. anymore and you're and you've got to research those kind of artists to even know that sammy kershaw is going to be playing an indian casino in jackpot nevada somewhere yeah to, to unless you're just a diehard groupie fan and in nashville has literally in my opinion like when george Strait and jamie johnson wrote that song three years ago it's called kicked out of country they mm. wrote it over text messaging yeah for george Strait, who was acclaimed the king of country music he has over 60 Number one hits. He beat Conway Twitty. He beat Ronnie Millsap. He's number one of all time. A kid from Texas that's in his 60s now. That is the baddest ass voice of all time. He could sing the phone book. Not the strongest writer. Yeah. But he had Dean Dillon, who's the strongest writer. He's a bad son of a bitch. Dean Dillon. He wrote a song called Kicked Out of Country because he felt like he was getting freaking kicked out of country. He was getting scrubbed by the freaking radio stations and by the management. How in the hell does that happen to George Strait after he did? That shows you that it doesn't matter who you are. When they're done with you, they're freaking done. Mm-hmm. Now, when he did that, somebody pulled their head out of their ass because last year at the award show, you saw the emergence of George Strait again. His new songs, God and Country Music, which is an unbelievable, I get goosebumps thinking about that song and him delivering it, but something happened when him and Jamie wrote that song, Kicked Out of Country, because they knew they were effing up. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that. So why did it happen to Travis Tritt? Why did it happen to Mark Chestnut? Why did it happen to Sammy Kershaw? We all know why it happened to Tracy Lawrence, who literally is one of the best vocalists of all time, in my opinion. It happened because they don't need him anymore. Yeah. And it's bullshit. Yeah. And then you look at guys that should be on radio right now, like Jamie Johnson, who is, in my opinion, the best country music vocalist of all time and one of the best songwriters of all time. You don't even hear a Jamie Johnson because, one, he doesn't want to be on radio because he's not going to play the game. Mm-hmm. My point is, is if he doesn't want to play the game and you know that that music's legit, why wouldn't you go get that music and put it on radio anyway? Because you know why? Because they're not willing to pay for it. They're not willing to kiss your ass. They're not willing to go into all these radio shows and do it. Mm-hmm. But all of those people I just named were literally dismissed, yeah. treated like they meant nothing to Nashville, unless it's a once a week or once a month or once a year appearance in Grand Old Opry. 
at the Ryman or at the new place yeah. that houses the Opry. There's no reason why those guys shouldn't be on country radio still. Nobody wrote a rule book that said, oh, you only get 14 years from the time your first single starts. You only get 14. Nobody's ever said that. Oh, yeah. Why can't Travis Tripp be on the radio right now? He's got one of the best voices of all time. Yeah, I mean, and I, I listen to XM and Prime Country, and I, there's artists like Mo Pitney and and some of, some of Brent's songs, and there's all these badass young traditional country guys that can't get on country radio and they're and everybody's like oh well, i just don't know where the place is it's like the place like put it on prime country why does prime country have to mean songs from the 80s exactly. and the 70s why can't it just mean songs that sound like this that people can still relate to right i don't know why that works and why that doesn't work uh i'm working my way to fixing that somehow it, i don't it, know how but, but i <laughs> think it is so stupid that to be on country radio you have to be like 25 to 30 years old. Nobody has ever said that. There's nobody that's mm -mm. ever said that. George Strait has built country music. Merle Haggard, and I know all of the greats that are no longer with us, did what they did and they trailblazed from Hank Sr. to Waylon to a lot of guys that we're not going to sit here and name. But those guys that came up in what we call the hat, the, the brat mm -hmm. hat, whatever it was, when, when, in, in, 90, 89, 90, 91, when Alan Jackson came along and, and, and Travis Tritt came along and Chestnut and Lawrence and all of those guys, what they did for country music, there has never been a more influential part of music in all of history besides maybe the Beatles mm -hmm. than what those guys did for country music. They made it mainstream. And the number one guy that came out of that graduating class was Garth. Mm -hmm. But Garth, when Garth first came out with, with, his self-titled album and then there was no fences and then there was rope in the wind and then there was in pieces when all of that started happening from 88 through 93 94 95 when we were graduating high school there's never been in my opinion and i don't know if it's in the history books or if it ever will be but there's never been a more influential time in music because that literally put nashville and put country music as the most lucrative form mm -hmm. and the most revenue driving source of business and entertainment there is besides maybe hollywood well look at look at the like the early to mid '90s were was so strong for all genres of music. I mean, oh yeah, grunge, the rock, the, all yeah. You had Counting Crows, you had Snoop, you had Nirvana, you know, Nirvana, Pearl um, Jam, Guns yeah. N' Roses. I mean, it was the best. And they weren't playing that on country radio. They all had their place, and, it, and, and now you it's could, all on country. And radio. you could scan, like you can literally scan through from station to station, and love every song on every station and listen to all kind of stuff at the same time. But now I feel like everybody's like just kind of throwing it all together and trying to put it all into one and calling it country. Well, what do you mean you feel like that? I mean, Florida Georgia line is yeah. one of, they're like their country bullshit. First of all, and yeah. then they have Nelly. Can't say we I, ain't country bullshit. I love Nelly. I love Nelly. I could listen to, I could listen to his albums all the time. Yeah. But I don't need him on country radio. And that's not being like, oh, chauvinistic that country radio is only this. Yes, it is. Because Waylon would turn over in his grave if he knew that a top 30 or 20 rapper was rapping with two dudes with stomach tattoos like Tupac singing some song called Cruise. It would fit better on rap radio than it does on 100%. country. Because, and nobody would, nobody would bitch about nobody it either. Right. Because what they're doing is, you know, it's pop. It's not like Nelly's out there going, you know, singing some Hank Williams songs, you know? No, he's not. And it's like they're doing what he's doing, but it's getting on our on their radio station. And I don't want to have the attitude of like you 
can't make a living. If you're talented and you can do something, I am in no way some ignorant asshole that's going to be like, oh, no, 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 you don't fit the format. Yeah. I'm not saying that, but don't say that it's country. And that's what your point is, is yeah. that back in when we were listening to music all the time and you had to dial up your radio station, you knew if you were going to listen to salt and pepper and too short rap you knew if you're going to listen to guns and roses or eddie mm-hmm. Vedder and pearl jam or chris cornell and Soundgarden or audio slave or whoever it was and you knew that if you're going to listen to alan jackson or a guy that i just saw on the freaking live pd tv show the other night live pd this new show on a and e have you seen this they got like four different versions of it the titles are so hot the ratings are through the freaking roof uh-huh. every t- they just put out a new one called court cam and i can't quit watching yeah, it what it's, happens it's there? cops guess who they had on there the other night who was it freaking randy travis the whole scene of him on the highway, buck ass naked. In his shit. bandit Trans Am. Yes. Coming up naked and him getting in the cop car and they got a camera on the dashboard filming Randy Travis threatening this cop's life 30 times, like 33 times. He says, you got a bullet coming your way tomorrow. You better watch your head. And I'm like, that's freaking. So it just shows you that no matter who you are, you yeah. don't, you don't, you're just like if you were just some idiot that got arrested, you're going to be on that show. I was like, that's Randy Travis. That's right before he had the stroke. That's right when he got his last DUI. Mm-hmm. And, his, and he's one of the best. Yeah, I mean, he's amazing. Still is. He's still around. Love I mean, he's. But he, he was on freaking yeah live PD. You, I wonder what happened that to that money that that cop got paid. The the station paid the police department to release that video. Do you think it went I, back no, to the taxpayers? I think it's public. It's all public, right? You become public. You become part of public. You when these shows, when you get arrested, you're part of you're part of public domain or something. You don't yeah. have to get them to sign off on it. Once but that sheriff's in. department owned that footage. I don't think so. Ah, they might. I don't know, but it's got to be available to anybody for proof in a court in a court of law. Well, yeah, but then, but that was. I, see what I you're mean, saying. when when maybe, when it, maybe A and E is because that for happened the with Randy. Uh, what four, five, three, four, five years ago? I mean, it wasn't recent. No, when he got busted, yeah, it had to be seven or eight years. Yeah, ago. he's been sick for. And, five. and they're just putting this live PD show is fairly new, so sounds like somebody called that that sheriff's department or whatever and says. Hey, I know you got that video God, still around. It was around. so sad, dude. It was so, I'm like, breaks my heart. Forever and ever, amen. And in, in, in 1982, and operator. I mean, I was just like, that's freaking Randy. No, on the other hand. Oh, my God. You got a good voice, dude. You really do. But back to what I was saying is that I just think that country radio sucks now. Yeah. I can't stand listening to it. I hate the state of it. But then I get educated by somebody like Brent Cobb, and he says, wait, who are you to say what country radio should be? Who do you think you are, Chad Belding, to be able to go Florida Georgia Line and Kane Brown and all these dudes that I'm not saying they're not talented, but they are freaking in no way, shape or form Conway Twitty or John Denver or Randy Travis or any of the guys that were. Do you remember when we were kids and my mom would put on a vinyl record and listen to Love a Rainy Night? and freaking Eddie Rabbit and what he could do with a guitar and what they could do. Mm-hmm. You ever heard Jerry Reed play the guitar and oh, then sing yes. and then be with Burt Reynolds in movies? That was freaking, that was entertainment yeah. to me. And now I sit there and go, And he what? was good at every Everything. bit He's the most underrated, badass guitar player oh, of all gosh, time. Oh, gosh, yeah. He's got to be. Jerry Reed is considered, I mean, you talk to somebody that can pick like Zach Brown or somebody that can really th- knows their way around a, a hand, they go, Jerry Reed is a bad son oh, yeah. of a bitch. But he was, he, he was so unassuming at it because he was good at everything do he did. Do you ever want to watch one of the baddest videos of two guitar players at the same time? YouTube, Chet Atkins and Jerry Reed playing together. Oh, I've never seen And it's that. just the two of them. I love both of them. And they're passing the damn plate back and forth and just... Ripping and it. you can tell they're they're doing it not for the cameras. 
they're doing it for the love for the love of it and trying to one up each other because yeah. you can see them hit a lick and the other one starts smiling and going oh i hear what you're doing there but you wait a second i'm gonna show you something you know my dad and, used to pick my dad could pick you know and he played the drums played the piano did it all yeah not world class but good enough to entertain our family at the holidays whatever it was every yeah. night pretty much but he would always say Chet Atkins and Jerry Reed mm-hmm. are the are just oh, yeah. unbelievable musicians. Well, back to what we were back to what we were saying a minute ago about like the nineties and how everything was in its own place and it was and it was all awesome. Um, at the same time, radio went corporate in nineteen ninety four. Ninety four. So that's when corporations started buying up radio stations, and then once they started getting them all up, which took some time. And that's that really is the evolution of where we are today from where we were then. It's like it went corporate. They started buying up, up as many stations as they can, iHeartRadio, Cumulus, all these other big mega corporations were buying it up. And so there's and then they just hired somebody's like they hired one dude. You're gonna program all our stations. And that's when everything got the same. And that's why you can sit there and you listen to if you sit down and listen to and this is true with XM too. Um, I, you know, driving out here from Tennessee it was five hour drive. Listening to Prime Country, you hear the same songs because they program an hour, hour and a half worth of music, and then just nuts. and then just rotate. It drives me nuts, and it drives me absolutely insane too. Which back in the day, and and also you had a live DJ, so yeah, exactly. W-N-B-C. So when you yeah, when you program those stations, you don't need a live DJ in there. You get somebody to come in. Tape this whole show in between song blocks or whatever makes it sound like somebody's in there. So there's nobody there to answer the phones. There's nobody there to take listeners' opinions of what they think no of the music. Lines, no contest. Yeah. And so all that, which was because of greed and money and business and corporations and all that shit, it affected what it affected what people heard. It affected what people had access to. It affected great art because some of the great art wasn't getting heard. And then it was like, oh, well, we're somebody's, you know. And who's to say this program director that does these things knows a damn thing about anything? You know, they're just a dude with an opinion, just like we are. You know, we're just a couple of assholes talking shit. But, um, and so it's just, but it, it trickled down. And now people like, they only know, that's why radio is such an important part to, because that's such an avenue for people to hear it. Well, if you, if they can't hear what they want to and call in and say, hey, I heard this song at this show the other day, or can y'all play it? It's by such and such. You can't do that anymore. No. One, it's too corporate because it's all about who gets paid the most by the record executives or the management to keep those songs going. Mm-hmm. Because there's hits that have been hits that are only hits because they were driven by financial influ- mm-hmm. influence. Yeah. Straight up. There, think, there, there's ways to keep a, a song at radio because it's not by the fans voting on it. It's not by the airplay. It's yeah. by the amount of advertising dollars that are being spent with all of these conglomerates like you're talking yeah. about that keep the, the songs on the radio. Well, and I think so. And I, I'd love to have this conversation with Zach and, and maybe one day we all can because he, you know, he blew up really quick, just like Luke did. Right after Chicken Fried. Right, but, yeah. But Chicken Fried, I feel like I, and I heard this number somewhere, and I could be completely off, or it could be a lie, or whatever. But I feel like I heard he sold like thirty thousand records before he ever had a record deal. From from, from touring Georgia, mainly in Georgia. Well, I mean, in the southeast, you know, he was. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of it was in Georgia. Um, I mean, he used to have a restaurant on Lake Oconee that I used to go to when I was in Social college. Club. 
Uh, well, not, well, that before was before that. Yeah, he had Zach's place. Oh, really? I didn't and know he that. would literally go in, get the kitchen going, and take his apron off and go out and sit on stage when might have a fiddle player or harmonica player or somebody. It was just two of them. And, and it was on Lake Oconee, and you drove through a trailer park to get there. The first time my buddy Adam Crow took me out there, he goes, man, I'm going to take you out there and see this guy Zach play. I was like, Zach? He's like, his name's Zach Brown. He owns this restaurant, and he gets up there and plays. And so we jumped in his little red uh, truck. No, it was like, and Adam was one of my old soccer buddies, and it was like a little red Acura from the late 80s or early 90s. It was a little, you know, something. And we go off, tolling off in the middle of nowhere out towards the lake, and we turn in this damn trailer park. And I look over at him. I said, where in the hell are you taking me? He goes, it's just on the other side, man. It's crazy. This is how you got to go to get there. Um, but we go out there, and we sit down and eat. And sure enough, Zach takes his apron off, and he goes up there and picks up damn guitar and starts picking and grinning and i've still got um i think it's in my dropbox and zach would also record every night and so if you came back the next week you got the night or the last night that he played and he would and he that's would how that's how garth brooks did give away cds Oklahoma. yeah and week. that's and brent brent would do that um when i first met him back in georgia that's what i want to talk about because Zach Brown, I just want to make one comment about Zach Brown. He is one of the top talented dudes mm-hmm. in all of music. Absolutely, 100%. His his songwriting to his ability to understand music, his ability to incorporate music, his, ab- his ability to break down and analyze music, yes. and then play music. And play. He play, is a he damn hell pick, of a damn picker. And, and lead a band. Yes. Because Coy and Clay and all of the guys in the Zach Brown band look up to Zach as the leader. Yeah. And when you talk about world-class musicianship, Clay Cook was roommates with john mayer at berkeley mm-hmm. in boston that whole first john mayer record he half wrote he half three quarters wrote yeah. room for you then you got matt Mangiano who went to berkeley then you have coy boyles who could lead he's a lead guitarist he's an amazing guitar yeah. everybody in that band is world class class mm-hmm. musician and they all look up to zach brown yeah. and you know what is, is cool about zach is that he doesn't cut corners because a lot of times lead singers what do they do they strum and they sing because they got a beautiful voice and they can entertain. He picks and yeah. he jams. Oh, yeah. And, and so, but Brent Cobb, I want to talk about Brent Cobb. Brent Cobb is hands down, I said it before 15, 20 minutes ago before I went off on the rant of the, the 90s and why Travis Tritt isn't on radio anymore because he damn sure should be. Brent Cobb should be on radio. And he's not because yep. we said he's not going to kiss ass. He's not going to pay for it. He wants to build his audience and is falling organically. Radio should find him. When you talk to Brent Cobb, he pays homage to the greats. Mm. He says that what Charlie Daniels has done and what Hank Williams Jr., Bo Cephas has done, that they are the best at what they do of all time. Mm -hmm. He understands the game. He understands the history. He has a huge passion and love for the song. Like Jamie Johnson, he would die for a song. That's why when you go to a Jamie Johnson song, he's wearing freaking loafers with blue jeans and a black t-shirt with a beard that hasn't been manicured. Like I said, like Tim Montana's who's going to play again tonight, which we're going to talk about. He's awesome. You think about what Jamie Johnson does. He does it for the song. He would die for one of his songs. Oh yeah. Brent Cobb's the same way. Merle Haggard was the same way. A lot of the greats were Brent Cobb needs to be heard by the masses. Mm -hmm. Brent Cobb doesn't get heard by the masses because it's such a slow roll. 
There's got to be a way for somebody to go, you know what? I know that he is not going to send somebody in here to kiss our ass. We're not going to have somebody yeah. come in here and force us to play his songs because they own uh, this much of Nashville or this many management companies or this label or whatever the hell we're talking about. There's a lot of ways to get on radio. Yeah. Brent Cobb should be on radio for the simple fact that that is a, what's the best word to use? That is a masterpiece. That is a tutorial. That is how you write a song. Mm -hmm. When you listen to the words of a Brent Cobb song and the vividness of it and the way that he breaks it down, you will go, oh my God, I was there last week. Oh my God, I remember being there when I was a kid. He's singing about my life. A double wide with silk sheets, cheetah print, and this girl rubbing up on you, and you better get get out of there yeah. quick because their her boyfriend's coming home in his Mack truck, and he loves to fight. Do you know how much that happens in America? And not just that it happens, it does. But the way that he paints that picture, or the way that he paints a picture in King of Alabama about the late mm -hmm. great Wayne Mills, or the way that he paints a picture about Providence Canyon. Yeah. I've never been on love on me, even back on in me. the day. Love on me. Love on me. We you can see two people. I see two a dude people. having a conversation. With, he's hitting on a girl, you know, like, and he knows he can't dance, but he's yeah. going to give it all he's got. Yeah. Two left feet. You can fall on me. Let he me says, show you why you ought to be my better half. He doesn't say, he says, fall in love on me. Uh -huh. Think about that. Fall on me. Like, but his songs, I've never been to Providence Canyon in Georgia and I could tell you how to get there now. Yeah. I don't know where the hell it's at, <laughs> but I could tell you how to get there. I've never been there either. And I'm from down there and, uh, I, I know the area, but I've never been there and I've seen pictures and I'm like, damn, that's beautiful. I need to go there, but I'm just, Never what have. does Brent Cobb mean to you? One, you're friends. Yeah. Two, you're almost family. He knows your wife. Your wife knows his wife. You guys all know each other's kids. Yeah. We do Thanksgiving just about every year together. So, with Do you feel the same way that I do or do you take him for granted because you've known him for so long? I've known about Brent Cobb for four years now. I've seen him with Chris Stapleton probably nine times. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anybody better. I really mean that. Yeah. Like I've heard Marty Stewart say, Brent Cobb is a bad son of a bitch. Yeah. Why in the hell doesn't somebody in country radio take a chance ever? That's the underlying thesis well, here. That's if the country radio that had term Why limits, can't you just take a risk? Yeah. If country radio would have term limits, which is not a bad idea, somebody make that happen in iHeart and everything, give them four years. Swap it out. Change it up. Let's get a right. different set of opinions in there and give other people a shot. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people that get number one songs. And the way the system is set up, they spin them up so quick, get them a number one, then it falls off because it's like the flavor of the week. That they're, you know, they like, oh, I got a number one song, but they're not selling tickets. Billy Currington, Chris Young, they might sell 2,500 tickets at a show. Billy Currington has 11 number one hits. Yeah. Chris Young's got eight or nine. What the hell does that mean? If you can't sell a show and you can't headline and you can't go out and do it, I'm not saying that Chris ain't making a living. He sings as good as anybody in yeah. Nashville. So does Billy Currington. My point is, is if they're on radio and they got the hits and they're not doing the other part of it to where they're going out and headlining a big festival or headlining a big tour, why not take a chance on somebody that could do all of that? How do you know they can't? Exactly. How do you know that they can't? What did it take to get, if Chris Young can't sell tickets, if you're not going to pay to go see Chris Young sing, unless you're a diehard fan, I wouldn't go watch Chris. I know Chris. I mean, I've been to many parties. I know him. I love him to death. I love his songs, but I wouldn't go buy a ticket to watch a concert. Not a performer to me. Not a performer. I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm just saying in my opinion. 
So, I love I love it. Every once in a while, you can walk in a tin roof and he's sitting there by himself at like lunchtime playing Keith Whitley songs. I love him. And uh, you can walk into Losers in Midtown yeah. and he'll freaking be pouring tequila shots behind the bar with yeah. a towel over his shoulder. <laughs> like he works there, which yeah. he does. That's where he, And but, I love that, but I'm the same way. Like I, If you ever said, hey, you want to go to Chris Young's show this weekend? I'm like, I'll, I'd rather go hunting. You know, or, so do you think Chris Young makes country music radio money? Or do you think that Chris Young is that those songs were paid for to become number one hits? Because my point is this to be a, the misnomer is that to get a number one hit, you have to have a lot of people wanting to hear that song. Yeah, you if would you think. don't want to hear that's how it should be. That's the way it should well, be. Well, this song has been requested so much, it's finally in our top 25. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, it climbs into the top 10. Now, it's number one because of the fans, i.e., us, yeah. are wanting to hear it. Well, I, so if, if there's so, my point is, let me ask this if there's so many people that want to hear Chris Young songs or Billy Currington songs, which is a bad son of a bitch, too, uh, what's the song I was singing last night with you? Which I one? must be doing oh, yeah. something right. That yeah. song is so freaking good. So, whoever programs the station at Max Prairie Wings needs it's to be programming country radio. Country, oh, it's awesome. Dude, dude. I had so, so much fun is, was ben, listening to music ben, today. Ben, ben, sorry. If they make this this many number one hits mm-hmm. on radio, but they can't sell tickets over here, they don't have the fan base mm-hmm. to go see them live and buy their merch and support their career. Who in the hell is make who in the hell is getting their song to number one? That's the study. I can't confirm this, but I have heard that Somebody, there was an artist that signed a record deal and they were guaranteed their first single was going to go number one and it did and it was not good. And, but yeah, so can't confirm, but somebody's getting paid somewhere. To get to songs the number one. Because I think that it's evident when you take artists like that that can't sell tickets. Gar sold 7 million tickets last year. Yeah, he can't get a number one. He Stapleton, had a number one the last two years. Yeah. Well, Stapleton, Stapleton's weird. only had like one number one. Yeah, and he's, he just sings like an He's angel. had number one you albums know why? for years. According to Brent Cobb, it's because he doesn't sing about you and me. You know who Chris Stapleton writes and sings about? Himself. Yeah. And people can't take that. You go to a George Strait song concert, and he stands up there. He don't move for two hours. Literally doesn't move. Yeah. And he, I'm a fireman. Yeah. And check yes Baby, or no. Baby, write this yeah. down. Unbelievable. But you know what we're doing? We're singing along. You go to a Stapleton yeah. show, you are going, holy shit, I don't know if I should stand up and sit down. You don't know what the fuck to do. And here's why. Because he's singing about himself. You don't. You can't get in his head. I've you never, can't sing along yeah. with the Stapleton show. I've never you paid attention, but you're right. That's you're so true. You're in a dark spot. Yeah. There's no sing-along bullshit. There's no freaking party favors going off and smoke and lights and a bunch of organ or a bunch of unnatural um, uh, uh, digital stuff going yeah. on behind him and all these graphics floating by. It's a three-piece band like Nirvana. Sometimes Morgan's up there shaking the tambourine and she's got the voice singing of the her ass off. Yeah, like she sounds like Miranda Lambert, yeah. which is, in my opinion, the best country female singer of all time. Besides. Dolly Parton. Yeah. Dolly Parton's amazing. But I'm just saying is that Stapleton's amazing. He's got one number one hit and he sells out every arena in the land. Just mm-hmm. like Luke Combs does. Luke's got more number ones. Yeah. He's, he's gonna, he might break George Strait's record. Yeah. Everything he puts out on radio goes number one. Yeah. I just don't understand that you could have nine or 11 number one hits and you can't sell out a 2,500 seat theater in Reno, Nevada, but you can have one number one hit and sell out Hershey Stadium in Pennsylvania. Where, what gives? So why can't Brent Cobb go in there and go, you know what? If we put take a chance on this kid from Georgia that is the baddest-ass songwriter there is, he can sing like an mm-hmm. angel, he can play the guitar, he can entertain. When he chicken dances and chicken walks on stage, it makes you feel like you're at a family yeah. barbecue or family reunion. Why not take a chance on him? Because his songs are going to yeah. they're going to hold true, and his concerts are going to hold yeah. true. 
if I am in Nashville and I'm the mayor, I'm going to be like, whoa, y'all stop what you're doing right now. Get Travis Tripp back on here. Mark Chestnut, even though I've heard weird things about him personally, like I like Mark. I've hunted with him. I like he's cool as shit. But Mark Chestnut and these guys that we talked about before should still be on radio. And Brent Cobb should be on radio. And Shooter Jennings should be on country radio. Not that Shooter needs any validation because mm-hmm. he's country music royalty because his dad's probably the greatest of all time. Yep. I've said that a few times tonight, but it's tough to beat Waylon. Yeah. It truly is. Adam Hood should be on radio. Adam Hood should be on radio. Dean James Jr. Yep. should be on radio. Leith Lofton. Now let's take a good friend of ours that we're praying every day that his recovery continues. Drake White. When he released Spark three or four years ago, song for song from 1 to 12 or 1 to 11 or 1 to 13, whatever it is, if you listen to every song on that CD, you never hit the fast forward arrow through one. My point in saying this is, it's a great album. It's not as good as the Lonesome Song by Jamie Johnson, which in my opinion is the greatest country music album of all time, song for song. Yeah. I truly think it is. Either that or his next one, guitar, the, 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 the guitar song, amazing yeah. album. Drake White is at number 13 on the charts with There You Go Making Me Look Good Again. You're Making Me Look Good Again. Yeah. Amazing song. It's a yeah. ballad. He tore it up it. on stage. I remember being at the House of Blues in Boston across the street from Fenway Park. Zach Brown played Fenway that night. The after party was at House of Blues, headlined by Drake White and the Big Fire. I'm up in the balcony with Zach Brown. We're looking down at it. He grabs the microphone, takes the guitar off, grabs the microphone. They go into There You Go, making me look good again. He sings it. The crowd goes crazy. Zach turns to me. He goes, feel that. And I felt Zach's arm. He goes, that's a hit. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, Zach Brown, he's got 14 number ones, yeah. two Grammys. He knows what the freak he's talking about, probably. The song gets to 13. Climbing, it went from 21 to 13 in six days. I'm looking at the charts. Where the hell's the song? Talking to my buddy in Missouri, Christian, where's the song? I don't know. Did it get kicked off? I'm like, this got to be a misprint. It got pulled off country radio because of some political shit that happened within the city limits of Nashville. That album. Which proves to you there's only one dude that makes decisions and can pull it off and put it on right there. That album deserves to be heard by every single person that listens to music because of the songwriting, the production, the instrumentals, the creativity, the cleverness, the wittiness. It is an amazing musical album. Straight up from rock and roll to ballads to country music to the song story, the song heartbeat that was on Google commercials. It was not Google Geico commercials on federal ammunition commercials. It's a song about life. It's a song that could be like kid rocks on the Chevy, the heartbeat of America, the Bob Seger song Mm -hmm. and the kid rock songs have been on those. It was that caliber of a song. He disappears off of radio that week and you haven't heard from him since. Haven't heard from since some gangster shit. It's gangster shit. It's straight up mafia. Yeah. I don't know. I get so frustrated, not because he's a personal friend, but when you listen to that rate, you can't tell me there was a better album that year. Now, Stapleton's Traveler, album of the year. The next year I called it when I heard Miranda's album. Insane. She's so freaking bad. The double record? The double record? The double record. Yeah. Album of the year. Yeah. I called it. I go, that's going to be album of the year. Smoked them. I was in Fort Lauderdale fishing. Both times I called the album of the year. Not that I know anything, but I was fishing for Marlin and, and, and Sailfish with her traveler song to song song of the year and the only thing that i had heard from stapleton leading up to that besides the steel drivers was what are you listening to yeah which was a lame-ass song i, I loved it did you really I loved it it wasn't stapleton-esque though dude it, it was, was just freaking top 40 to me it was just uh i thought it was a well-written song that said a bunch of shit that everybody has thought 
I wouldn't argue that. It's it's being listening to your mixtape. Yeah. Being in that room with or without a girl. Yeah. I mean, and breaking which up. that's probably, I don't even know if our generation still had those experiences like we okay, did. Okay, tonight where, I want you to do me this favor. I want you to listen to, what are you listening to? Mm-hmm. And then I want you to go listen to Parachute or Traveler or When the Stars Come Out and you tell me the difference. Oh, yeah. Because he's being Stapleton from the Steel Drivers yeah, yeah, yeah. In, those, in the three ladder songs I've mentioned. Yeah. That song, he wasn't being Stapleton from the Steel Drivers. No. Well, that was, you know, that was the song the label told him to push the radio and told him, like, this is going to be the hit. And, I mean, Chris is a hell of a writer and has written hits for a bunch of other people that he's never recorded because it's just not what he does. No. And that was one of the songs that probably could have been pitched to somebody else. Because as a song, I thought it was phenomenal. I can't believe it, you said that. I've never heard anybody say that. I'm it, not arguing with you. I'm just. It didn't sell Chris as Chris. It, got, it only got the 45. I'm not saying that that matters. Yeah. This is proving your point. Well, I'm talking about like, like it, the song. Like I, if I wasn't, if I was head of the label or whatever, or if I was even his publisher, or his manager, whoever the hell tells him what songs to put on a record, that would not be a song that I would think that should go on a Stapleton record. Well, then what's your point? You're just saying I'm it's saying, a great song. No, I'm saying it should have been pitched to somebody else. Okay, but the label, agree. Okay, the label was in charge. I will agree 100% that it's a great written song. Yeah. It's got a cool story. Yeah. It's got cool feel, but it ain't a Stapleton song. Yeah. Now, he might sit here. I told that to Jamie Johnson one time at his bus in, at Stanford University in California. I said, I don't know if uh, Ray Ray's Juke Joint is really a song you should be singing. And he literally, in so many words, told me to F myself. <laughs> <laughs> because they get so close to their songs. You oh, yeah. just keep your mouth shut. It's almost like being an actor or an actress and then thinking that you can tell me who to vote for. Yeah. Just because you're this Amy Schumer chick or whatever her name is, that female comedian, I really think that she should just shut up when she talks. Don't tell me that I shouldn't be allowed to own a gun because she took third place on a comedy talent show and got on the Howard Stern show. I don't give a shit. Just act and make me laugh and that's it. So it's not my it's not my place to be able to stand up and go, oh, Chris, don't put that on. I mean, if it's a great song and it's well-written, maybe he should have pitched it to somebody else. Yeah. But that was the just the label I, taking the, charge and not Chris that taking was charge. Nashville taking charge and thinking what would work at country radio at the time. And it soon showed that that wasn't going to work because it went to 45 and pulled. Then Traveler comes out and it's going like this. As an album and not a song. No, just an album. Just gradual climb. Gradual. And then what happened? Do you remember what happened? CMAs. Timberlake. Yeah. Probably, arguably the best performance in country music history. When Stapleton and Justin Timberlake. (laughs) And they did Tennessee Whiskey and Jack and Jim and some of his friends. Some of my friends. Uh, What's it called? The Timberlake song? Uh, Can't Drink You Away. Can't Drink... Oh, my God. You knew it. That song. Badass song. Yeah. That just shows you his country roots, because Timberlake is a mad Mm -hmm. talent. Yeah. Mad talent. He's from Tennessee. Is he? Yeah, he's from Memphis. He is. That's why his band's called the... The Tennessee... uh, Memphis something. I thought it was called the... uh, Anyway, Tennessee something. But yeah, something like that. That performance... I have, and you can, and if I'm lying, I'm dying. We could call my brother tonight, and hopefully he'll have time to drive to my pad. You turn on every TV in my house, and it is still on every DVR. Yeah. You know how you have the opportunity to erase shit? Uh-huh. It used to be to where if it stayed there too long, it would erase itself. Now you itself. got that keep button. Yeah. But I got the keep button on that, and it, because I watch it at least once a month. Mm-hmm. I go back, maybe even more than that, and I watch that deal to remind me. And if you look, if you watch the audience, you see everybody from the owner of, I'm not going to say any names, the owner of Vector all the management companies, the publicists, and then you start seeing the artists, mm-hmm. like Keith Urban and his wife, Nicole Kidman, and Zach Brown and his wife, Shelly, at the time, and you're looking around, and they're like, holy, it was like they yeah. knew country music was being saved 
that night. Yeah. That night, Chris Stapleton saved country music because at the same time, George Strait was writing a song called Kicked Out of Country. There was artists that were like, what in the hell is going on to where we can't even, then that year, who played the big arena at FanFest? I'm, I'm not trying to test you. I'm kind of testing you, but I'm not doing it as a trivia way. Travis Tripp plays the big arena at FanFair that year. In freaking Nissan Stadium at the biggest night of the of Travis the, did that year. Travis the Trinian. same year that, that and, yeah. Okay. And now go look at the lineup every year since Stapleton and Timberlake did that. Terry Clark's back at Fanfare. You got yeah. Joe Diffie's there. You got all these artists that were forgotten about by country radio. That that live performance has them coming back and mm-hmm. being seen by arguably the biggest week in Nashville's year, yeah. where most country music so-called country music fans are in. I take that back. It's not my position in life to be able to say who and who isn't a real country music fan. I'm simply saying that all these people flock there because one, Nashville's a badass place to have a drink or to have a party or to have a, something to eat or listen to live music. But that week, you have a chance of seeing your favorite artist pop up at any place on Broadway or Midtown or the Gulch or whatever, right? Oh, yeah. These people are flocking there and now they're starting to be reintroduced to the people that should be being reintroduced at country radio without, in your argument, have to go to prime country. Prime country, you think I want to hear Garth Brooks go, I'm Garth Brooks and I'm prime country. Mm. No, my son of a bitch. You sold, seven million, <laughs> you sold 7 million tickets last year. Yeah. Maybe it was 5.7 million, but it was over 5.5 million he sold on that tour. Yeah. And he's still, now he's got this stadium tour going on that's unreal. But he was doing shit like Taco Bell Arena in Boise, mm-hmm. 12 nights in a row. Yeah. One place, I think, in Kentucky or Louisville or somewhere, he did like 19 nights. Maybe that's an exaggeration. Maybe it was like 16 nights. I'd like to say the numbers, yeah. But still, these artists need to be reintroduced in a way that they get the respect that they deserve. And that's the whole ideology or thesis or not a hypothesis. A hypothesis is something that you try to prove correct. I'm saying that the whole foundation of what I... Theory of what I want to talk about tonight was radio... And Nashville needs Brent Cobb. Yeah, absolutely. They don't need to just have Brent Cobb if he comes and plays by their rules. The fans deserve more than that. And the majority of the fans don't even know that the rule book exists. They don't know what's going on behind Music Row and 16th and 17th Avenue and Broadway and the, behind the doors of these studios and management offices or these even these publishing houses. They yeah. don't know what's going on. There's no rule book. So let them have a chance to hear the baddest ass guys and girls going on. Haley Witters, yep. bad son of a bitch. I love her. Yeah. They have they need to be heard. So there's got to be some kind of balance there to where Travis Tritt and Tracy Lawrence get to come back and not be just on some generic ass billboard. Yeah. They need to be legitimately it's almost Showcase. like they look like they're looked at like they're damn dinosaurs now. Hundred percent, you know, which is one of the best country music songs. Oh, I, I, my favorite. I love dinosaur. Gotta love Bo Cephas. I wish I, I could love, find some old set lists when I used to play. I'm gonna we, have. I'm so gonna have. Could, I'd love to for both of us to look. We'd laugh. I bet you'd be the same. And when <laughs> Tim Montana is gonna sit down with me tonight, and I'm gonna have him do either Outlaw Women. Woman. Out. She works in the bank. She works in the store. <laughs> She ain't gonna go for that old stuff anymore. Dude, I'm telling you, that song, like Brent Cobb calls him calls it the emotional or the sympathetic, or there's one more word he uses of that Hank Williams Jr. when he wrote other than songs like Monday Night Football or All My Record, yeah. but when he wrote shit like Country Boy Can Survive and Outlaw Women and and uh High in Alabama those songs dinosaur yeah dude he had to be coming from a place to where you're just like holy shit i want to go there sometime so 
I, I, from everything that I've seen and done, I, I feel like this is something that people don't do anymore. Those guys were writing songs constantly. They were writing songs when they were sober. They were writing songs when they were with their woman. They were writing songs when they were fucked up. They were writing songs all the time. All the time. And, that, and so you got their whole life. People don't do that anymore. They wait till eight to five Monday through Friday in to go cubicle. to go right in you know in an office building because somebody's paying them money to do so for a but year. Here's and the then, deal. Here's my argument. Brent Cobb's not. No. Brent Cobb's writing right now. The first thing he does when he gets in his house, whether he's swinging his daughter in a swing or driving down a country road in his hopefully Ford truck, what does he do? <laughs> he picks up a guitar and starts. I think writing. Brent writes songs all day, every day, without voicing it. Or physically it playing it, yeah, like, I think it's in his head. He can memorize. Oh, shit. Like, I've, I've never, never seen, seen him. I've never seen him write. So a we both go. agree that Brent Cobb needs to be heard by the masses. Absolutely. Going into an election year, I think that we put this on on our boys' docket. Maybe we can get Trump to pull some strings. Of Brent Cobb needs to be heard. That's facetious, but I'm just saying that I truly feel in my heart that if people had a chance to listen to Joe Diffie's greatest hits, that aren't just subject to. Another song about a hot chick in cut-off jeans dancing on a tailgate in the middle of a cornfield in somewhere that doesn't exist land happens sometimes. I get it. You yeah. got a bonfire, two counties, <laughs> there's going to be a fist fight. All these songs sound yeah. the same. I'm saying that and now Brent Cobb would tell me, hey, those have a place too, and I agree. Because we've all come to the conclusion to where for years I was like, no more Luke Bryan. And I love Luke. I've hung with Luke. I think he's a great dude. There's a lot of songs I was like, and then he come out with this new one called knocking boots right after he came out with that great one of like all people are good or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that was a good country song. Luke Bryan can sing a country song and he can write a country song. Hopefully. And having this approach that we're talking about would have somebody like Luke be able to show what his true talents are. Cause when he sang songs like all my friends say, I can't wait for you to hear the Luke Bryan cut on the new Brent. And that's Cobb where record. I was getting to Brent just wrote two <laughs> songs with it. And I heard their country is biscuits. God, I'm in the South. I talk like I'm from the South. You proud of me? Welcome, Country's Chad. Biscuits. Glad you finally. Welcome to the party. I'm from, I'm from, <laughs> I'm from Lake Tahoe. I'm from Lake Tahoe. I wish I was from the South. I always tell everybody that. I really wish I was from the South. Come it's on. The, it's the most sought after place in the world. I don't want to be from Paris. I love my Italian roots, but I don't want to be from Rome or the Amalfi Coast. I want to be from the South. Well, you're welcome. Always. Thank you. Come on. I'll be in Nashville in a couple weeks. So let's end it like this. I love you. I love Brent Cobb. I love Joe Diffie. I love good country music. I'm not a know-it-all about country music. I'm just really tired of putting on country radio like you talk about and hearing a lot of stuff that my dad would be like, uh, turn off the Michael Jackson station. Now, I love Michael Jackson. We're not going to get into political or all these rumors or any of that bullshit or whatever's true or not. I'm just saying as far as a musician and a perfectionist and a dancer and a choreographer and a songwriter and everything, there's probably, I mean, Michael Jackson's hard to beat. But you don't need music that sounds like Billy Jean or Beat It or Thriller on a country music station. But some people might say, Belding, it's not your place to say that. And I agree with that opinion, too. I'm not ignorant. I'm just saying that if you're going to tell me that we're going to listen to country music, then freaking play country mm -hmm. music. And there's got to be a way to get back to that. The Joe Diffies, the Travis Tritts, the Sammy Kershaws. I, if Sammy was sitting here right now, we would have the night of our life because he could play his library and you would cry, you would laugh, mm -hmm. you would dance, you would, it'd be unbelievable. Have you seen any of those memes lately? I've been scrolling through the face space thing and uh, where it says, 
put country radio back on country or put country music back on country radio. Yeah. Like I've been seeing that a lot lately. A lot. I don't it's know where it's coming happen. from. It's got to happen. Yeah, it's, it's it's got to. Brent Cobb, I love you. I'm I think that I'm going to actually do an outro of this episode instead of playing Leith Lofton. What you gonna do when the money's all gone? That was written by Leith Lofton and our good friend Drake White. But this version that you hear on our podcast and all over our TV shows is performed by Leith Lofton. I think tonight let's play it out with a Brent Cobb song. Tom, I would like you to play this podcast, this episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody out with Brent Cobb. Mm, high in the country, coming home. 30-06? 30-06. Oh, Scotch wrote that. Yeah, Scotch, Scotch wrote that. and Brent wrote that. Okay, Tom, I want you to play 30-06, or as Siri says, .3006. <laughs> play 30-06 off the Providence... Providence Canyon album. I think it's number eight. God, I love that album. Tom, play it. Four, Ben Ratliff. Please support the partners that support us here. This episode of this This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast, again, was brought to you by our friends in Peachtree City, Georgia, Deemer Box. For all your Bluetooth musical needs, store your private belongings in there from your pistol to your wallet to your passport to your gun, your gum when you're going out on a Friday night. Go I'm ahead. actually pimping my Deemer Box out right now. I love, I'm letting uh, a buddy of mine borrow out of his farm because he's like, this thing holds charge for like all week. All week. 50 hours on one bad yeah. charge. James Deemer, good job. The story behind Deemer Box is badass how he came up with that idea he was an audio tech on the mm -hmm. show survivor doing survivor alaska I'll tell the rest of the story later tom hit that button brent cobb 30-06 for ben ratliff this is chad belding thank you all so much for supporting our podcast this life ain't for everybody don't forget to check out our sister podcast the foul life brand new episodes of the foul life television appearing right now exclusively on the outdoor channel you can check out all of our websites banded.com averyoutdoors.com thefowllife.com, jargongamecalls.com, and thislifeaintforeverybody.com. Please check out our apparel, all of our merchandise, and don't forget our new line of cookbooks coming out in late spring 2020. Can't wait to announce who we're doing that with. In the name of that, we almost have it secured with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office of a registered trademark name. We will be doing five editions of the cookbook with 60 to 90 recipes each, 10 celebrity guest recipes in each of them, along with three-day workshops that you can count on learning everything from being a real man, a real woman, a backyard aficionado who could cook up wild game, cook up barbecue, cook up seafood, and supply a bounty to your friends and family. Chad Belling, Tom, hit that button. Thank you all so much. Ben, thank you. Thanks, buddy. Six.